You're listening to No Filter, a 2FM collective podcast. Hello, I'm Louise Makshari and welcome to No Filter. This is the podcast that features extraordinary women with extraordinary stories. In this episode, I speak to Feli Speaks. Feli Speaks is a spoken word artist who is originally from Nigeria but grew up in Longford. She is 21 and has an incredible talent for capturing emotions like anger and sadness in her poetry, but in real life is bright and bubbly and I loved every moment of our conversation. We chatted about the young Afro-Irish community, life as an immigrant and balancing religion with real life stuff. But we started at the very start, her origins in Nigeria. So you are from Nigeria. Yes, I am. So tell me about that. I'm from Ogun State. That's how you say it, Ogun State. Um, So I'm Nigerian. Um, There's a lot of, I'm Yoruba and that's my language and there's a lot of different dialects and there's a lot of different tribes and stuff like this i'm from the yoruba tribe i'm from ogun state um i don't remember too much Mm -hmm. um i lived with one of my aunties from like age two to about six and my dad came back from France, picked up my mum and I. We moved to France for about nine, ten months. So he had moved to France for work? Yeah, he had moved to France for work. And we lived in France for a while. Then my mum got pregnant. She decided to move to Ireland. My dad stayed in France. And this is why I'm here. Why did your mum decide to move to Ireland? Um, some, I think there was like a... What's this guy's name? I don't remember the Taoiseach that was on, um, around during that time, but he was just like throwing um, naturalizations at everybody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my mom and dad were like, you are moving here. This is a great place to live. <laughs> they accept everybody. <laughs> it was yeah. kinda, but it was... It was it was a strange move, but um, ultimately, I love Ireland. Ireland has become home, mm-hmm. so I enjoy it. I and how old were you when you? So how old were you when you got here? I had just turned eight. Eight. When I moved to Ireland, yeah. And I had just turned seven when I moved to America, so I know that age. Oh God. And I, I, I'm interested to hear if your experience of coming here was similar to my experience of going there. I mean, it's different because obviously, I think there are much bigger differences between culture in Nigeria and yeah. culture in Ireland, but. Um, I wanted to be like everybody else as quickly as I possibly could. I wanted to get rid of my accent as quickly as I possibly could. Oh I wanted to shake off all the shackles of my Irishness. Wow. That's how I felt at the time. How did you feel? Um, I think because I was already in France mm-hmm. um, for a while, like a good year or so, I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't have anything to shake off. Yeah. It was funny because, um, but in France, I didn't realize I was different. Whereas in Ireland, I did feel really different. In France, like, um, I think because it's just very, very multicultural in, 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 in comparison to Ireland, that, um, Everybody just looked multicolored to me. Everybody was like Skittles. Mm. And I was just a part of the Skittles pack. And that's why French people are so beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) So like living in France was grand. Like I picked up the language really quickly. And then when I moved to Ireland, it was like, I I was this black kid with an with a French accent. Yeah. And that could speak English really well also. Like I was, Immediately I got into Ireland and I started going to school, I immediately felt different because I was treated differently because it was like, what do we do with this 
kid. Yeah. She's a bit um a bit of everything. And they were just convinced that I just couldn't speak English because I spoke English with a French accent. So they put me in special classes and everything and only for a couple of months because they were like Oh, she's quicker than most of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just it was just interesting that um I immediately felt different when I was in Ireland. It was yeah. just like, oh, I'm not supposed to be a black kid that could speak fluent English but in a French accent. It was yeah. just it was just too much. Yeah, you couldn't be there was no box to put you in. Yeah, there was no box to put me in. Mm. So they thought I needed English help and I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> so where in Ireland were you at this time? I lived in Longford. In Longford, okay. Yeah, so um I'm what would call a culture. It was it was interesting kinda I didn't live a double double life, but I grew rather fluent in both cultures yeah in a in a being able to express myself in both cultures being irish and being nigerian i consider myself irish um i think the term is afro-irish i kind of really like it yeah i like that too afro-irish yeah yeah so um that's why i identify as it's funny isn't it that it's only now that we have a term for that because i mean really people like you are the first generation for the most part of afro-irish people yeah obviously there were i mean there were there were tales of you know (laughs) there's a town here which has a black man but like it really wasn't very common at all yeah it definitely wasn't very common but um i think probably the late 90s slash very very early uh 2000s was when the flood of black people came um i remember like oh bless i remember <laughs> there was a time uh, it, this was in longford actually um i was in the shopping center and there was this little kid in a buggy and the mom was pushing him whatever and I said hi to the little child and he burst into tears. Oh my God. It was mainly because like he had never seen a black person in his life. So he just got really shook. It was like, whoa, what is this? And I just, I I wasn't offended. I didn't feel like the mother was racist for it, but it just put into perspective how new my people were in the country. And sometimes I still get those glances when I go uh, to do poetry events at like really small counties or whatever. And the odd person kind of look at me like, whoa, okay. (laughs) And I'm like, I know, I know when you around (laughs) here. That's such a good attitude to have about it though because I think I would find it difficult to have that attitude. Yeah, I think because I've just grown with that attitude. I've grown with that reality and I'm used to it and there's no point viewing it as negative, especially if you're an understanding person, which I claim to be. (laughs) It's kind of like... what do you expect these people to really do? I don't I don't excuse racial acts or anything, but like just what do you expect people to do if you are really new to them? Like they yeah. don't like social media is probably the newest thing also that has like um, made um black people's awareness or black people being in the country a very normal thing whereas Mm -hmm. like seriously Ireland people outside Ireland don't know that there are black people in Ireland yeah well there weren't yeah exactly like like I've grown up I'm 21 years old so I've been here like I don't know how to do the math (laughs) 12 13 (laughs) years but like I remember like I was in New York um earlier on this year and somebody asked me oh where are you from I'm like I'm from Ireland and they were like there's black people in Ireland and I'm like (laughs) See, I, I don't blame you either. Yeah. Because 
we're getting used to it over where I'm from. <laughs> you're trailblazing is what you're doing. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, well, I'm really glad to hear that you feel that way about it, that you feel like, you know, it's natural for when something is new for people to have to be slightly maybe shook or, yeah. you know, have it be slightly jarring. In the same way, I suppose that... You know, if a if an, a really pale Irish person were to go to certain places in in Nigeria, yeah. then they might be looked at funny too because it's it's not what people are used to, and that exactly. makes sense. I've been considering a lot recently in my life because I I listen to a lot of um, I think I consume a lot of black media. Um, I find, but it's mostly from America. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so I listen to like you know another the another round podcast or like um, two dope queens and like I I, I think I read like a reasonable amount of, you know, African-American media. Um, but I, I'm not in any way connected to the Afro-Irish community. And I kind of am a bit ashamed about that. Like, you know, I, I get to meet some really cool black Irish people through my work because I, mm-hmm. I present a new music show and so much of the new music in Ireland is just by amazing black artists. Like, I like know half of them are amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and see, I, I, I just feel like, you know, uh, I feel like I need to kind of... I want to know that that we're doing okay as yeah. white Irish people, you know? I mean, it's not about me, but like, I wish I, I was more connected or we were more connected. Maybe it's because I'm older than you. Uh, yeah, I think, I think part of the, what I've noticed in our culture, the Irish culture in general, mm-hmm. is that um, in order, like exactly as you said, in order to understand Afro-Irish people, we they look to African-Americans and we're completely yeah, different. Yeah, it's not the same. And you can see that whenever um, an Irish person that is naturally white or whatever uh, approaches a black Irish person and they're trying to find common ground in whatever they're talking about, they use African-American slang and then it's like, ah, I could totally see you trying to box me into this group of people that you consider might be my people, but I don't know them either. Like I consume the information just the same way you do, but they they don't represent the Afro-Irish culture at all. Yeah. And... The good news is there are some um, podcasts mm-hmm. that um, that you can listen to that are from Afro Irish people. Give them to me. Well, right for, now, for instance, the unoriginal podcast. We have the um, Yang Theory podcast, which is basically a group of Afro Irish girls. I was on their podcast recently, and they're amazing. So you have the Yang Theory podcast. The unoriginal podcast is two um, Afro Irish men and. A regular Irish girl, and they're hilarious. Brilliant. You have the Oh Man, Oh Man. You have the Reckless podcast, and they do a lot of like intellectual, interesting shit. And it's like, yo, we we can bring the spice. You just gotta yeah. know where to look. And that's great for me to hear that your experience is largely good. Um, because you know, on a day like today, like Ibrahim was just released from Egypt. Oh my God! Finally, yes, today. Today, Ibrahim Hawala. It's been like, what, three years? Four years. Four. Yeah, four years. And it's amazing. And I see so many Irish people are excited, Irish people of all cultural backgrounds. Yeah. But then if you read the comments yeah, on any of those articles, yeah. it's just so Trolls. racist. And yeah. I just thought, I have to ask Felicia about this. I have to ask, is this really what we're becoming? Is racism mm. getting worse rather than getting better? And I mean, I'm not expecting you to give me a de- definitive yeah. answer on that. But, you know, I think it's important that we ask these questions. And I think, consider them seriously. I think on the subject of racism, whether it's getting worse or better, I think it's remained the same. It's just louder. Mm. I think um, because we have 
in the internet we have comments we have like so many mediums where people can interact socially now we have facebook snapchat twitter like anybody and everybody can have access to the internet so you have a lot more people who are louder that have always had these opinions not necessarily that there's more people that have these opinions um but to be honest um i think it's just the way you you just live life i think that you always find trolls and they're everywhere the trolls are everywhere if it you could put up the most positive comment or the most positive status or picture about somebody doing something good and somebody also say something negative about it mm-hmm. and that's what i've come to terms with there's always negative people you will just have to keep going yeah well something else that i wanted to ask you about because you mentioned it there uh, you mentioned going to church um you know as a kid and um it seems like a lot of people who've immigrated to ireland um mm-hmm. from africa have a community that's built around church here oh, yeah yeah is that yeah. the case yeah there's a lot of i, I would know more africans that are religious than Africans that aren't. Right. And yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of our culture and a lot of, I'll speak for myself as a Nigerian. I can't say about a lot of the other African cultures, but as a Nigerian, like you, there's two things that our parents tell us are the most important things like ever. One is God and two is your school. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you are going to church and you're going to school. Those are the only two things you you don't get to debate on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, that's how I grew up. You take school very important and you take church very important. And even like I've seen a lot of people my age in their 20s now that are not so church going or not so prayerful but you still find them like at the roots like you could say any comment if you could say a negative comment to a nigerian person and i can almost 75 percent guarantee that they'll come back with you like ah god forbid <laughs> <laughs> like it is laced in our language and is laced in our customs and our tra- traditions Mm. so far yeah that even when you're getting married you're doing uh we have our cultural weddings but you're gonna do a a church wedding wedding as well like that's standard procedure but yeah yeah, we are quite religious people i find i just think it's interesting because you i mean if if you looked at ireland 50 years ago it probably was the same you know you didn't argue about god or school (laughs) but we are not that way anymore very Mm. quickly we have moved away from that um and I, I always find it interesting to see the kind of strength of community. Because, for example, um, I had the band Super Silly in to do a session. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so I had those guys in um, to do a session and they all met in church and they met and they met playing gospel music. And I was talking to them about that. I said, you know, you, there seems to be an incredible sense of community. So many um, young Afro-Irish people I meet know so many other young Afro-Irish people through church you know and so many relationships are formed there and um, you know their song Not Ready to Leave is about trying to kind of marry um, being an Irish teenager being Mm -hmm. an Irish person in their 20s and also you know believing in God and loving God and and trying to be a Christian person is that difficult? Marrying those two ooh yeah (laughs) (laughs) like Truthfully, I haven't spoken about this in a while, especially like um, detailed with a lot of people. But like um, growing up, like I, I was super, super into God. Like I was 
Like, my parents didn't even have to force me. I was the kid <laughs> that was in the choir, that was the youngest person in the choir from, like, age 10, 11, and up till I went into college, so up till about 18. So, um... You didn't have to force me about anything to do at church. I was happy to go. I was very heavily invested. And then I think college really spun me. Like, <laughs> college um, really taught me a lot of things, made me question a lot of things. And I would say that religion is still an important factor in my life. But I just, I got to this balanced place in my life where I'm not feeling caged by my religion anymore. Um not that I ever was. It's kind of like um, uh, skipping through the prison yard. All right, this is a terrible metaphor, but I'm using <laughs> it anyway. It's like skipping to, through the prison yard and you're like, whoa, this is amazing. Look how big this place is. I love this place. And then um, you get to go outside for ice cream one time and they tell you to come back in and you're like, whoa, these has like a lot of barriers, mm. a lot of wired fence. And I don't know if I like it so much. Mm. That's kind of where I am with my faith. And not to throw it away completely, I'm just finding a balanced space where I enjoy being 21 yeah. or turning 22 soon. <laughs> enjoying being my age, enjoying my choices and not feeling um, decompressed or compressed mm. by religion because of it. And just living life. I have just really decided that Ah, life is not that deep. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not that deep. What um, are some of the things that you maybe would have felt like you couldn't do? Have sex. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> just, that's an important I just one. Thought I... Yeah. No, I appreciate that bluntness. <laughs> this is called no filter, so that's what I want from you. Yeah. I'm just going straight for it. Um, yeah. Funny enough, before college or whatever, I just didn't think about sex like that I was just like eh. I never said to myself oh I have to wait till I'm married but I always said to myself eh, whatever mm. that was my um attitude towards sex and then I just so at some stage I was like hey I want to do that <laughs> <laughs> that looks good yeah. I just I just it just happened one day like I was wasn't pressured I it was I swear to god it wasn't pure pressure it wasn't anything I just was like huh yeah okay let's do this yeah yeah, yeah. sure <laughs> I, I don't care anymore yeah. uh but that was one of the things and also another thing is i find that um we're religious people in general white or black there, there's an element of judgment mm -hmm. that comes with them and it's funny because i find i i consider myself quite open-minded quite outspoken quite um liberal yet in love with traditions and cultures and everything so i'm always kind of like a middleman in all things that i like which is weird mm. but i go to church to respect my mother when i'm home mm -hmm. um because i don't know i think it's important for her if it's important for her i'll go yeah if it's important but, to her it's important to you yeah yeah I but get it. generally i'm not a church goer anymore <laughs> and I'm just living my life as it comes. What are some things about um, Nigerian culture or or yeah Nigerian culture but maybe particular to Nigerian people living in Ireland that white Irish people wouldn't know about? Oh my god I think our ceremonies um, I think we have a really cel celebratory spin on everything and I, I think it's just my favorite thing. It, my favorite thing about being Nigerian is that we celebrate everything. Uh -huh. Like, it is just, it's kind of stupid <laughs> the level. 
<laughs> the level at which we celebrate everything and i mean everything like um it's an excuse to, everything is an excuse to party and when we party we party hard okay uh, it's like you could go to a funeral funerals are not that sad if you're Nigerian well I think Irish people I can be with you on that like, sometimes um, yeah exactly because you guys quite would, Irish people you guys would be like bottoms up to the drinks and we're like what where's the food at like <laughs> That's just how we do. Like funerals, you cry a little bit and it becomes a carnival. A wedding weddings are a whole like wow. Like I don't even know how to go into weddings with being Nigerian. There's like three different weddings that you generally would um have <laughs> for the same marriage. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> your your traditional wedding, you have your white wedding, which is the when you wear your white gown. Oh God! And then you before that you have the introduction where the two it's basically a celebration where the two um, families just party and okay. kind of you meet all the extended families uh-huh. and it's probably done right after you're engaged, but it's not an engagement party. It's okay. crazy. So do you have an engagement party as well? Yes. Okay. <laughs> There are a lot of parties. Like, I, it sounds I like know. you're doing it right, to be honest. <laughs> it's so much fun. And I love the colors. I love that everything um, represents our personality. Everything is flamboyant. Everything mm. is vivacious. Ooh, look at me using all these words. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about words because yes, you are a poet. Yes. So I how am. did you come to poetry? Poetry, um, I think, was my escape route. And I found it by accident. So um, I think I started writing really young. Um, First, it was a diary. And then my mom read it. Then I got in trouble Mm. because I had a boy in it. My mom called my dad. She oh, got no. everybody involved. Like I was holding my little brother for protection when she found <laughs> my dad. <laughs> oh god. But um yeah, I just started writing. Um I used to read a lot as well. Like I dev- from probably age 10 to about 17 I devoured a lot of books I lived in the library and so I just started writing down my feelings I think I remember the first time I wrote wrote something that I knew was a poem was after a really crap maths class maths has been like my arch enemy since I was very young so I'm really bad at maths and I remember I was coming out of maths class and I just started like jotting down all my feelings on my phone because I didn't have my notebook with me and I was like, ooh, this is nice. And I just kept writing till somebody found my page. One of my friends found my page when I was 16. And she was like, this is poetry. And I was like, poetry? Because <laughs> I, I titled my copy, um, My Book of Thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> it was really cheesy. I was just like, my book of thoughts. No, I mean, that's, it does what it says on the tin. Exactly. <laughs> and she was like, wow, this is great poetry. And then I put a name to it. And... It started off from there. So when did you first read publicly? (laughs) My first public read um, was in my first year of college. And And how scared were you on the scale of one to ten? On the scale (laughs) from one to shit my pants, (laughs) I was right on we in my pants. Okay, (laughs) got it. So I was like, okay. Yeah. But um, 
it was first year of college and I've already like named I've, I'm the friend that does things like I'd be I'm the adventurous friend I'm the I'm the friend that would try things out first before everybody else that doesn't surprise me actually <laughs> <laughs> so um and then it was like oh this is poetry slam so I was like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna do it and I, I remember I came fourth in my first slam in college and I remember I was shaking like a leaf my voice was quivering yeah. but I got it done I did it and I was so proud of myself yeah. and then in second year I won yes you did <laughs> yeah amazing it was really good and now you've read loads of places oh yeah loads of different things so tell us about some of them oh I've had some um, groundbreaking moments in my short poetic life mm-hmm. um, I think the one, the first one that really got me um, was the National Concert Hall. It was like my first really big gig. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, the National Concert Hall. Because I had sang there when I was about 11 mm-hmm. as part of the National Children's Choir. Mm-hmm. So I'd been there before. And remember when I was there, I was like, wow, this place is amazing. It's a fancy place. <laughs> yeah, it's really fancy. Yeah. And they had us all in the big, big hall. And I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was amazing. And I couldn't believe that I was coming back to be a spoken word artist and say my very own poem. Mm. And it was amazing. My dad came to see it and he was just like, wow. Yeah. He just couldn't believe that it was me. That was part of the Young Bloods event, yes, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, for the St. Patrick's Festival. It was yeah. amazing. Well, I saw you for the first time at Body and Soul um, when you read as part of Come Rhyme With Me. Um, uh, yes. It was right after Grandfall uh, and you read a piece about Grandfall. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Grandfall Tower. And it was really powerful. Thank you so much. And then I have watched you have videos online where people can see you reading and it's oh it's they're really amazing or performing really it is more yeah. than reading yeah thank you so much um so you are gonna do something for us yes, today right I am. and i'm so excited really happy because this is a video that when i read it i just thought oh my god i i have to or when i saw it i thought i have to share this so i'm delighted that you're willing to do it for us today um so baxter this poem is called for our mothers and i wrote it um for the Nigerian woman it's very specific but i've soon discovered that a lot of women can identify and um understand where i'm coming from in the poem even if you're not nigerian um i wrote it because uh i think recently my eyes have opened a lot in the past few years especially um and i'm grateful to my journey as a poet because it's making me dig in every avenue for um, creativity and for enlightenment Mm. and they seep into my poems and I've just realized how many women go through terrible things in their marriage and because of our culture and the way we're set up we're encouraged to stay in the marriage Um, and it's always heavily the woman's responsibility to keep the marriage together Mm. so this is what For Our Mothers is about I can't do this any longer. I cannot fold my arms and rest, watching lonely wives wrap their head ties so large, filling it with confiscated feelings, hoping truths get knotted and bound on Sunday mornings, covering up tired dark eyes with white powder and red lipstick. What would people say if I unravel my secrets? My dear, it's not so bad. At least I look good. 
continuing to wrap a pearl of clothing around her waist, linen and lace, concealing footprints above her navel, tracing it with thin fingers. Five weeks old. The baby hadn't fully formed yet. She shook her head and her traditional beads clanged without rhythm, joining the noisy depression within her. Another baby will come. God's time is the best. The car ride to church was the same every week. Words formed in meaningless conversation between gritted teeth and silent remorse, replacing apologies for cheap compliments. My wife, you look really good today. Our mothers are dancing on Thanksgiving Sunday with bitter stories in their mouths, too afraid to spit it out, their knees darkened by the weight of prayer, teaching their daughters that the necessity of a man is more significant than the desire for one. Reminding budding females in graduation gowns that they aren't getting any younger. My dear, you aren't a child any longer. You're a woman now. When their daughters recognize new heart bruises, they reply with stern glares. Dear, you know men are not to be trusted. Sign, because they remember when they had twinkles in their eyes at the first sign of love. Sign, because the twinkles have long yet faded. And you're their reminder. They're reminded that maybe love can unravel the secret she bundles in the privacy of clothing on Sunday morning. For mama's sake. Find love that would heal her through your smile. For mama's sake. Find the love that she never had. Thank you. Oh, I love that so much. I really do. It's so beautiful. Thank you. It it, it just has so many that I just love it I'm like on the verge of tears here so oh. thank you so so much for coming in to speak to me oh, it has pleasure. been such a pleasure to meet you and Belly Sweeks I cannot wait to see you do your poems again oh. and I'm sure I'm going to hear so much more of you over the next number of years thank you thank you hopefully thank you I don't I don't doubt it The Collective 2FM